You're listening to episode four of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood podcast. I remember calling the midwife and I remember her calling me back saying, okay, Kate, I think it would be helpful for you to try and speak to someone because the way that we're mm-hmm. reacting right now to all of this is not helpful to you. And you are going to need to figure okay. out how to deal with this a little bit better. <laughs> I was like, okay. Okay. It's in a glass case of emotion. Welcome to the Raise Your Hand Motherhood Podcast, a place where you just might find or hear a tiny piece of your motherhood reality. I'm your host, Raylan Minka, an educator, writer, and emotionally frazzled toddler mom. If you've ever felt lonely in your motherhood journey or asked yourself, am I the only one experiencing this? Then you, my friend, are in the right place. Each episode focuses on a different but common motherhood struggle, where we discuss the ups, the downs, and the WTFs with moms from all around the world. So whether you're stroller pushing and podcasting yourself around the neighborhood, waiting at the doctor's office for your next fertility treatment, or listening with a well-deserved glass of wine at the end of another full day of motherhood, welcome. I hope you can relate to some of what you hear in today's episode, and get ready to raise your hand if you do. Hey mamas, and welcome to episode four of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Raylan Minka, and today we're talking about motherhood anxiety, managing expectations, and letting go of control. Nobody likes to feel out of control in their own life. We generally avoid things that make us feel incompetent or scared or that push us too far outside of our comfort zones. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd say having a baby or raising a child does a pretty damn good job at all of those things, and that can be incredibly anxiety-inducing. Sometimes in life, we can have a really clear idea in our heads of how we think things will go or how we expect or want them to go, and then we have to live and learn through a completely different experience. Something that I've come to realize is being a mother is learning how to understand that we cannot control every outcome. Today's guest interview is with an old friend and colleague of mine named Kate Rhodes. She's mom to a sassy and hilarious toddler and is a budding entrepreneur. Kate and I have stayed connected through social media over the last decade, and I followed her journey through motherhood on Instagram, where she has always been one to keep things real. Kate and I were meant to discuss the specific topic of motherhood anxiety, which is something that she experienced strongly in the first 18 months of her daughter's life. But our conversation morphed into the broader struggle of managing our own expectations as mothers, as well as the expectations society places on us, and dealing with those feelings of helplessness when things are outside of our control. I hope you enjoy today's episode, mamas, and don't go anywhere. I'll be right back after some stroller thoughts. Hey mamas, today's stroller thought is brought to you by the theme parks. Parks. I didn't think that parks would stress me out, taking my son to the park. I enjoy it. No, that's a lie. He enjoys it. He loves it. I like watching him have fun at the park. I like watching him interact with other kids at the park. That's been a real struggle because he's not in daycare yet and he loves being around other kids, but we weren't able to get him in yet so every chance that he gets to interact with other kids is like a huge huge plus for me but something that I really struggle with making small talk at parks 
I'm working in my second language here, guys. So I'm just recognizing, shouting out to all the other moms, all the other parents who have to do park drive-bys with their strollers, kind of make an assessment like, okay, how many kids are here? Can I, can I work myself up to this? Uh, you know, do the parents look friendly? Because I'm going to have to make conversation with them in my second language. It's really good practice. I know that. I know that it's good practice. But it's just sometimes an added layer of stress that I don't have the capacity for, depending on how the day's gone. So I just wanted to share. Yeah, we just did a park drive-by, but I'm going to try again. We're going to hit up our second park, and I'm going to get my son out, and we're going to play. Well, he's going to play, and I'm going to chase him all over the place. All right, all for now. When I was pregnant, the anxiety that I felt at the time was mostly to do with the fact that COVID-19 was raging havoc on the world, and we didn't know what that would mean for the birth of our son. Would my partner be allowed in the hospital? Would we feel safe? There was just so much uncertainty. After the birth of my son, I struggled with what a mom friend of mine would refer to as night fear. I'd get totally worked up and overwhelmed every day around 5 or 6 p.m., super tearful, because I didn't know what the night would look like for me or for my son. And as an exhausted, touched-out, breastfeeding new mother, the evenings would arrive and I would feel like staring down hours and hours of uncertainty ahead. When we decided to move back overseas to Europe, I was really anxious that I wouldn't be able to learn German fast enough to keep up with my son. I was afraid of missing out on his first words and would have fear about us not being able to understand each other. At times, it just felt so overwhelming that I would bury my head in the sand and refuse to think about it or practice my German. Now, as I mentioned earlier, my daily struggle revolves around what I call park anxiety and battling this conflicting story in my head of being an extroverted person who wants to be more social and make new mom friends in this post-COVID world, but who also struggles with the difficulties and sometimes highly uncomfortable feeling of making small talk in my second language. These are just some of the anxieties that I've encountered and experienced in my first year and a half of parenthood. And yes, most of them are specific to me and to my circumstances, but the point is, there's always something there for mothers to worry about or feel uneasy or fearful about. Whether it's the anxiety of becoming a parent itself, and just the huge weight of that responsibility, or the fear of that first year as a new mom and wondering how in the hell you'll figure it all out. Or the uneasiness of watching your child bike around the block alone for the first time, or driving the car off themselves for the first time. I wanted to ask a therapist for their thoughts on the anxieties and worries that we experience as parents, and what we should be looking out for in terms of warning signs if that anxiety grows too strong. Now here's Heather Radich. She's the clinical director of Bloom Psychotherapy, which is a virtual clinic based out of Ontario, Canada, specializing in perinatal and maternal mental health. In my practice as a therapist, one of the most common presenting issues we see in parents is anxiety. Anxiety is our body's natural response to stress. And while anxiety is a normal feeling that can be useful at times, when it begins to control us instead of us controlling it, it can cause immense difficulties. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about common anxiety signs and symptoms. So some of the common symptoms include 
feeling nervous, restless, or tense, having a sense of impending danger, panic, or doom, having an increased heart rate or feeling like your heart is beating out of your chest, breathing rapidly or feeling like you're going to hyperventilate, sweating or trembling, feeling weak or tired, having difficulty concentrating or thinking about anything other than the present worry, having difficulty sleeping, and this is difficulty sleeping that is not related to toddlers and babies who cause immense difficulty to our sleeping. But if your kiddos are sleeping and you're not sleeping, that can definitely be a concern. Experiencing gastrointestinal or GI problems, um, having difficulty controlling your worries, having the urge to avoid things that trigger anxiety, needing to be busy all the time, wanting things to always be a certain way or to be perfect and feeling really uncomfortable or out of control if they are not. And then also feeling what we call mom rage or an intense irritability and lack of patience that comes seemingly out of nowhere and causes you to feel like you're having a complete out-of-body experience. Luckily, there are things that you can do to try and help calm or quiet your anxiety from taking over in the moment. So if anxiety makes you feel stuck or frozen, the first thing that would be helpful to try is to question your thought pattern. Negative or unhelpful thoughts can take root in your mind and they completely distort the severity of a situation. So in that moment, try to challenge your fears. Ask yourself if they're true. Ask if there's any evidence to support that they're true and see if there's a way that you can take back control. Another practice that I find really helpful is to change your overwhelm-inducing thoughts. So ask yourself in the moment, is this thought helpful to me? Consider, when you think this, what are the emotions or feelings that arise for you? What are the body sensations that you experience? How do you act? What does your behavior look like? And then consider if there's an alternative thought that would lead you to feel more positive emotions and body sensations that will then in turn impact your behavior. The second thing that can be helpful is to practice focused or controlled deep breathing. Try breathing in for four counts and then breathing out for four counts for four minutes in total. It will feel like an eternity, I promise you, but by evening out your breath, you'll start to slow your heart rate, which should help to make you feel calmer overall. And a bonus is that when you focus on your breath, you're practicing present moment awareness, which is another excellent strategy for managing anxiety. Anxiety is often based on what could or might happen in the future. So connecting to the present moment can be really helpful. The third tip is to go for a walk or practice 15 minutes of gentle stretching or yoga. Sometimes the best way to stop anxious thoughts is to walk away from the situation completely. Taking some time to focus on your body and not your mind may help to relieve your anxiety. Walking in nature also really allows you to focus on your senses. Notice what you see, hear, and smell, which is another great way to connect to the present moment. Another tip is to write down your thoughts. Writing down what's making you anxious helps to get it out of your head and can make it feel less daunting. This is particularly true if you have a very active nighttime brain, which most parents that I speak to can attest to. So creating what I call a worry list or things that you think you might need to remember to worry about can often feel helpful as the thoughts can then come out of your head and move safely onto paper. A bonus is that often when we look back at this list the following morning or the next day, 
we are able to recognize that most things on it are unnecessary or at least unhelpful. If the anxiety is starting to have a severe impact on your overall functioning, well-being, or relationships, quick coping methods shouldn't be the only kind of treatment that you employ. You'll want to find long-term strategies to help lessen the severity of the symptoms and even prevent them from happening in the first place. Connect with a therapist or your doctor to create a plan to do this. If you're wondering if you're alone, I'm here to promise you that you're not. The most recent research tells us that since March of 2020, 85% of mothers have clinically significant levels of anxiety. 85%. So please know that you are not alone, and we know that there are evidence-based strategies that will help you to feel better. So moms, just a few tips for you there if you're ever feeling like your anxieties are holding you back or making you feel stuck or frozen. Okay, stick around. I'll be right back with my interview with Kate Rhodes. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. I'm I'm so excited for you to be here, too. Ever since the first conversation we had where we were just throwing voice notes back and forth. Yeah, I was just like, I cannot wait to sit down and have a conversation with you. Okay, so first of all, can you start off by just telling the listener a little bit about who Kate is? Okay, so I am a newly budding entrepreneur, which I never thought I would wear that hat ever. But the pandemic does some crazy things, as we have all kind of attested to. So I will wear that cap proudly. And I'm also a mother to a, I'm going to say feisty and sassy to start, but then also hilarious, keeps me on my toes, um, toddler, little, little girl. And then a partner to a kick butt guy named Matt. And yeah, we have just relocated to the west coast of Canada during the pandemic. So we are freshly new to what we dub as like our dream life. I'm going to say we've been dreaming about it for the last 11 years. Ever since I discovered the Rockies, I've been obsessed with hiking and being outside and being able to be in nature. And so we've landed in British Columbia and I will dub myself also as a health and wellness enthusiast. And just always um, immersing myself in how to be and live, I would say, a great life physically and mentally. I'd like to go back to the start of sort of motherhood for you and talk a little bit about your pregnancy. So can you share just a little bit about how that went for you? Yeah, for sure. So I would say that it happened quite quickly. I would say a little bit more quickly than we had maybe thought in our minds, Mm -hmm. but I will be that person that had a pretty good pregnancy. Like I, minus the first trimester where I was totally slammed by exhaustion, I was able to stay active, didn't have a lot of nausea that couldn't be solved by a couple soda crackers in the morning. And it was, it was fairly good leading up until um, I went into labor. I would say close to that labor I've always been a little bit of an anxious person. I would say the anxiety kind of got a little bit more real leading into... Towards the end of your pregnancy? Towards the end of my pregnancy, little random things would kind of pop up, but they would stop me in my tracks mentally. like, And they would just build and build and build and build. 
not really related to labor though like it wasn't necessarily related to motherhood or having a baby it was like very random okay so you're starting to experience these these moments of anxiety sprinkled into these last fun few weeks of pregnancy and and now you've reached the end of your pregnancy and baby Rhodes is ready to make an appearance mm-hmm. any day now. Did you have any sort of expectations going into labor, going into the birth process? So I was working with a, with a midwife and I had a birth plan. And I say that with asterisks because I kind of did like, I didn't, I didn't want to have an epidural because I was more anxious about not being able to get the feeling back in my legs for some reason my mind had manifested that i would never feel my legs again so lo and behold i i ended up getting one (laughs) because i needed to but yeah i didn't i i was trying to go in and being like i'm gonna give birth in a tub and like it's gonna be great and i i can do this i work out for a lit like i'm a hardcore like it's just gonna be a really long workout that was what yeah. was in my mind going into it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, then how did it go? So I had my third stretch and sweep. And I remember my midwife saying, um, like, I'll see you later. I'll probably see you this afternoon. Because she could just see that I was probably in pre-labor. Yeah. And then after that third stretch and sweep, I, I think I made it home, barely. And I called her right back. And I was in early labor but my contractions never gave me a break so from what i understand is i had what i think you would call coupling contractions and i remember essentially they brought me in because my contractions were close together but i wasn't dilating like i was supposed to and i remember saying to the midwife like i don't think i can do this like i don't think this is this i'm like just started this is not okay and essentially what it came down to was i couldn't relax i couldn't relax for zoe to like come on her journey down the birth canal yeah which is a crazy winding ride yeah 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 or so they say um i just remember the midwife saying we can do some more things to try and help you relax but at the end of the day, I, I think you would be served best by by getting an epidural so that you can actually relax. Because right now, like your body, you're supposed to breathe through it. You're supposed to do all this stuff that they teach you in these birth classes. And that was like out the damn window. And so, yeah, I get I got the I got the gas. I got the epidural. And I would say that that helped. I don't I Matt had to tell me a lot because I was you're I don't know if you can agree but like you're literally in a whole other trance state of mind like yeah i don't recall a lot i just remember i was pushing and everyone was telling me it was great and and then apparently i was good until like right at the very end i kind of got a little impatient and then that's when everything just like kind of tore which way in every way so Zoe was out. She was on my chest. Apparently, I said, I don't remember this, that this was the best day of my life. All I remember is telling, yelling at Matt that our next child would be a dog. That's all I remember. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But apparently, I said this was the best day ever. And yeah, I had 45 minutes of stitches. So this 
began, I'm sure, the road to some healing um, mm-hmm. that needed to, to happen alongside learning how to raise this glorious new tiny human child 100%. that's sent home to the hospital with you somehow mm-hmm. with no training whatsoever. No. <laughs> very, very little training. 100%. So how did that experience during birth, that recovery journey that that must have started you on, impact the start of motherhood? Well, yeah, I... I... To your point, it's, and I don't want to simplify this too much, but it is like you're getting the keys to a car that you've never learned how to drive before, and everyone's just trusting mm-hmm. you to keep the car safe. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's such a weird feeling. And I know so many people now feel that way, but you're trying. And you can't even sit down. You can't even sit in the car. Well, I can't, I'm, I can't even sit really... the way that I want to sit because yeah. I remember yeah. being with a midwife, you get discharged quite early because they come to your house like within the first 24 hours, within the first 48 hours, which, which is absolutely amazing. I cannot, I could not, I don't think I would have been able to do it any other way, like having to go into an OB's Mm -hmm. or whatever. So that was really great. But I do recall her coming up like within 24 hours and I was sitting on the bed with Zoe trying to, trying to latch, trying to breastfeed. Um, and I was sitting like cross-legged, like crisscross applesauce and and I remember her specifically saying, no, Kate, you can't sit like that. Like, you have to sit with your legs closed. Like, you have to sit with your legs straight and with your legs closed because we need those stitches to, like, stay together. You have so many tears, like, and tears within tears. Like, so you can't sit crisscross applesauce. And I remember being, like, that to me was, I was like, but this is comfortable. Like, what do you mean? I, like, I can't, it's not comfortable to sit with just my legs straight and... I just remembered that being such a moment. I was like, okay. And I didn't understand how many stitches I had until things started healing. And I couldn't stand for more than 30 minutes at max. It was a lot more um, intense. Like, you know, when you see moms like walking around outside and, and getting fresh air, like I... I wasn't able to do like that, that with comfortably for at least a couple months. Like it was, okay. it was like sit up, walk around. Okay, I need to sit down because like my bottom feels like it's gonna fall out from underneath me. And it was. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's so difficult. Mm-hmm. You don't really have a choice, right? Like you are, you're kind of your mental state is so wrapped around trying to make sure that you're. If you're breastfeeding, doing everything you can for this child, exactly. yeah. like feeding properly, yeah. if you're breastfeeding or your formula or you're changing the diapers or you, you, you know, you're from day one, at least from my perspective, you're consumed by a clock for at least the first three months. And for at least the first yeah. month, like I had to tell my midwife I had to write it down. Like every three hours we were doing this, we were changing your diaper. Did she pee? Did she poo? How much? Like you're on a whole other assignment that you don't really take into consideration your own healing. And yeah, hormones. Uh, po- episode three is about postpartum recovery, and the interview in episode three was with my own pelvic floor therapist. Mm-hmm. Go back and give it a listen. She recommends, and so many other moms that I've spoken to, you know, recommend getting yourself a pelvic floor therapist, getting a pelvic health assessment before oh. pregnancy, even before, definitely before birth, um, but before pregnancy, if possible, so that you can have an accurate sort of assessment afterwards. And um, as she said, so there's no sort of guessing game for someone that's helping you do physio for your yourself and for your pelvic floor, which is so important for women after birth. 
And no one yeah, talks so. about that, right? Like everyone yeah. talks about going to a pelvic floor therapist after, which I did six months, Mark, and and to and I geek out on anatomy and stuff. So we were all up in there and she's like, oh, this is tight. And to your point, like now that I look back and like I should have gone before, but I no one really it no one's really talking about the before and the prep. You just go and yeah. sit in your class at the hospital and they tell you they want make you watch videos from the 80s of someone giving birth in stirrups like it's so I <sighs> I'm, yeah, I didn't I didn't uh, read that chapter in any of my baby books. Like, <laughs> you're pregnant. Go get a pelvic floor health assessment. Uh, yeah. You don't understand how important it is. Like, really. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You cannot emphasize it enough. OK, so you have Zoe at home. You have experienced these little bits of general anxiety before the labor. You go through this experience and now in, you're just sort of in this newborn phase, you know, that first three months where you're just like, what the you yeah. know, what were you feeling during that first three months or that first six months? So I would say in reflecting back that, again, I've always been a little bit of a of an anxious individual trying to control like my my safety was being able to control everything. And and so obviously from day one, I would say, to be honest, like you're you're in a situation where it's constantly changing, like you know, you think you have it maybe week one where they're sleeping, or they're sleeping, eating, pooping, and you're writing it down and you're figuring it out. And then all of a sudden they start sleeping through the night or something like, and then your milk, it, milk messes up. And so what happened is we were somewhat on like a good cadence. She was born in November. I would say I was very anxious from the start about sickness because you Christmas comes along and there are family and social expectations as much as we want to as much as I thought I had some solid boundaries like I you do feel like you need to kind of show off the baby a little bit but I was very nervous the baby around mm, about about sickness um and I remember specifically like Matt had gone back to work we're I they kind they do eat, sleep, poop for a bit. So you kind of do get into a flow. Um, yeah, agreed. But I would say it was around, it was actually Christmas Eve. So she would have been just over a month. And she had gone her first bout of sleeping for an eight hour stretch. She was, she okay. kind of started that early. I was very lucky with night sleep, not lucky with naps. But, um, and my boobs were on fuego like they were I was so I remember specifically I fed her and again what they don't tell you you have I don't know if you've heard of the haka but I was like oh I have so much like I need to make sure that I'm that I'm catching what she's storing and like yeah you are reading all the stuff that you can store and you can do this and like make sure that you're catching the letdown of the other one or whatever so I was like had the hawk on one boob and because it was so full and she was feeding off the other and it was literally the point that she stopped feeding that like I got instant chills I, I started shaking and my boob was so sore and I was like what is going on and I remember rolling over to Matt saying I do not feel okay well I don't know what's going on and what happened was I ended up getting mastitis like like that i i was 
kind of producing too much. And with the Hakka, like it was, I was doing it too early, I guess. I was trying to create these stores and my milk level hadn't figured out her feeding schedule yet. And so it was Christmas Eve and I remember calling the midwife and I wasn't supposed to call like this beeper line. It was only for if you're in labor or like dying. Yeah. And I remember calling and um, just saying like, I I can't get any relief. I'm trying. I'm trying the leaves on my boobs and I'm in the bath and I'm trying to work out whatever it could be. Like I'm trying to do all this stuff and I'm freaking out. And I remember calling me back saying, okay, like Kate, like I'm going to, I know it's Christmas Eve. There's a lactation consultant. I just called her. I need you to go into the hospital, like, and you're going to meet with her. She'll make sure everything's okay. But I also just need you to breathe. And I also recommend that after you get through this, I think you should talk to someone. Like, do you have someone to talk to? Because there's going to be so many more changes that you're going to go through, especially within the next couple weeks to the next six months, the next year. And I think it would be helpful for you to try and speak to someone to help navigate through these changes because the way that we're mm-hmm. reacting right now to all of this is like, it's not helpful to you and you are going to need to figure out okay. how to deal with this a little bit better. <laughs> I was like, okay. Okay. It's in a glass case of emotion. <laughs> oh God. I'm glad though that you had someone in that moment yes. to, to say that, you know, like to, to say, okay, you need to expand your support mm-hmm. network. You need to, I, she's meaning to, to speak to someone like reach totally out to go to a therapist yes yeah. yeah like family yeah. everyone is great but it's helpful to to speak to someone who's not who doesn't know you right who's trained yeah. in like helping you in tools and be- yeah like behavioral management but things that you can do so did you did you yes did you take her advice i did i i'm very lucky i have a really i had a really great support system and i have been to therapy prior to giving giving labor and being pregnant but i also have um just some family that works in the mental health industry and so i i started there just reaching out um and just sort of chatting through and and again it it was all about breaking down the ability to control and like the ability to sit in the discomfort and sit in the unknown because i felt safety in knowing what to do and Mm -hmm. reaching out to everyone to tell me how do i get how do i deal with mastitis how do i do this and then getting frustrated when someone's like oh mastitis yeah that's a tough one and i'm like i've never heard of it what do you mean that's a tough one like no one teaches (laughs) me about this and you just when people kind of after the fact when you're talking to them they're like oh yeah when that milk comes in i remember that was a doozy like again did i I miss a chapter when did like what Motherhood is like the secret society, mm-hmm. you know, so many people are in it mm-hmm. and, and nobody talks about so many of these things. And then you have the baby and you join the club and then it's like, everyone tells you all the things mm-hmm. like this would have been helpful to know. This would have been helpful information mm-hmm. for me to have beforehand. And I, as you say, like having a child, there's just so much that you cannot control mm-hmm. about the, the situation. You know, you don't know how they're going to sleep or how they're going to eat or how they're going to. And every child body is going to heal. Right. Every child is different. Yeah. And I, I think what as I as I've been thinking about this over the last three and a half years, what I will say, because I've experienced this personally, is 
to your point in that moment and and for that i would say the first 18 months i did feel that like deeply like why isn't anyone talking about this and you know you can you can chat and you and you do feel that sense of relatability when you're speaking to other moms that are in the same situation yes but you're always kind of joking back to like oh i wish i would have known this but i will say like being three and a half years in and then you know, having friends or family who are having a baby now and they are messaging me asking, when did you, when did you drop the nap or when did they, when did you stop breastfeeding or when did this? I can't remember. I can't remember. I'm like, I don't know. I think it was around, I think she started eating solids around six, eight. I don't know. And I, and so what I think what happens is like, in those moments, you are so fixated. I, I remember so deeply, like, oh my gosh, what's the milestone? Checking the leap app, like, why is she crying so much? Why is, is she growing? Is where are we in another developmental leap? Like, how long is it going to last for? And you're waking up to when Matt gets home. I'm like checking the clock, trying to figure it out. And those were I was in it, and I was so it consumed my life. And now that I'm sort of into toddlerhood, I don't know if my brain has just blacked out part of that but i i can't remember like the specifics of those moments and so there's a part of me that maybe now understands a little bit about why we might not talk about it as much as because i i don't i i sometimes think that older mothers are sometimes just don't remember like it's just the different stages yeah Yeah. or stuff just gets smooshed together and they're like well i think they started sleeping they started sleep and they just make a generalized thing because they probably don't remember the specifics like i don't yeah right now yeah no that's a really good point that's a really good point <laughs> you said that you had family mm-hmm. that were sort of in in the mental health field and that you you know you were open to that from the get-go and that you had uh spoken with people before mm-hmm. being pregnant and whatnot uh, same with myself mm-hmm. i highly recommend yes. it to anyone who I does not therapy, therapy is wonderful it. it's so it's wonderful. When the pandemic started and everything went online, that was really difficult for mm-hmm. me because I just loved going and being mm-hmm. able to physically sit and speak with someone. And then that was just like one more thing that was taken away, mm-hmm. I found, mm-hmm. during the pandemic. Um, okay, so were there any tools or resources that you used, let's say, in these toddler years or in that newborn phase that you found just were very helpful for you? Yeah. So I would say social media was helpful, right? Like there was some, there was some accounts and taking care of babies was really helping us with sleep training. Um, that's taking care of C-A-R-A babies for anyone. Yes. And I remember there was a leap app that I downloaded that Matt and I religiously checked and it's, it was fairly accurate for the most part. Um, that I recall is when Zoe was in a developmental leap, you know, it would be a stormy, stormy time. And then there would be sunshine two weeks later. And it was fairly accurate as to what um, we were experiencing. And it sort of helped normalize it a little bit more. But um, not so many question marks. You can mm -hmm. at least refer to something and be like, okay, this seems to Mm -hmm. be something other people experience. Seems to be a natural. Yes. Okay. I had I had um, some books and that I would just Google. A lot of it was I would say I was I was very much on social media, but I also unlike unfortunately those who have had to go through the pandemic, 
being a little bit more isolated. I did have a mom and baby group that I was at the library with. And on Mondays, there was a little part of a school where I, of a town where that I lived in that where moms could congregate from newborn all the way up to, I think, two. So I did a lot of learning and comparison at times um, and support in and amongst this group of mothers who had children um, either. So yeah, it was, it was honestly helpful. And I would say later on, um, as we were going, when the pandemic started, I had just gotten back from maternity leave. And then we, Zoe was home with us um, for a large portion of the first part of the pandemic. And so I found a virtual support um, network and it wasn't specific to moms. It was specific to women, but there were definitely some, it was called the wild collective and I found it through my naturopathic doctor, but it is um, a program that you can join from anywhere. And they actually have another program that is specific. It's called wild mamas. So it does help um, the, the moms and that was really helpful. Again, it wasn't specific. The one that I was in wasn't specific to motherhood, but it was specific to womenhood. So we talked about hormones. We talked about the changes in um, your anatomy. In the, we talked about vaginas. We talked about mental health, listening to your intuition and understanding that gut instinct. Um, and that there was a couple other moms in there. There was a couple women in perimenopause and menopause, but we all just were able to connect and share stories and learn about ourselves and learn about what we were going through and how to navigate. So that was also super helpful, I found as well. It made me feel a little bit more confident. So you mentioned at the in the intro that you had recently left the corporate world mm-hmm. and started your own business, mm-hmm. which is called Simplicate. And and we haven't talked about it too much, but do you feel that leaving the corporate world and sort of going out on your own has helped at all with some of the stress or anxieties or whatnot, Mm -hmm. just in general from motherhood? Yeah. You know, I had a great team in the corporate world, but I would say that as much as I wouldn't want to admit it, there was a sense, and maybe I put the pressure on myself of, of feeling like I was putting myself back a year by having a baby. And there would be some comments like, okay, you're having a baby. Congratulations. Like, see you never. Cause once you have one, you're never going to come back from maternity leave or you're going to come back, but right. you'll be half in half out. So I remember taking that to heart and being like, no way I'm going to prove them wrong. And I remember, you know, even leading up to maternity leave, I was trying to, you know, stay on top of stuff and like really put people in a good position before I left. And then finding it hard to, not try and check in during maternity, even though like I, I wasn't checking in from a work perspective, but I was trying to stay in the know because I still felt so connected. I wanted to still continue to prove myself. Mm-hmm. And then realizing once I got back from maternity leave, and I think you and I have talked about this, there's like a whole other element of toddler germs that again, no one really tells you the extent of how much time you might have to take off. And that adds a whole other level of pressure, or at least it did to me, on trying to get back to work and not feel like you're a year behind and still trying to go for the promotions and be there and be present while your kid is experiencing daycare for the first time, going through another change, getting sick, 
and you're like half in half out. So the pandemic, as much as it's been super intense, it was helpful from us from a work perspective because we we were home with Zoe and yes, we were juggling and yes, it was intense mentally. And there was definitely an element of burnout near the end, but it helped me realize that I was never going to get to the next level from where I was. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't in the cards for me and I needed to figure out what I needed, what would help Zoe and I and Matt from a work-life balance. And so we helped work through that over the year and then make that change into where we are now. So, wow. It's really interesting to hear that perspective of, you know, you guys still were experiencing the struggles of this balancing act of both working from home and having a small child, but that this kind of like horrible situation almost allowed you to see the bigger picture and make that move personally, you know, for yourself, Mm -hmm. which is maybe ultimately best for you and for the family and that's great to hear Mm -hmm. yeah we were very lucky there's a couple questions that i'm asking everybody that i'm interviewing Mm -hmm. and the first question what was the biggest struggle that you've experienced or that you experience now raising a toddler your biggest struggle go so i'm gonna say i mean can i say two am i breaking the rules okay so i would say my biggest struggle baby was a lot of people were telling me that motherhood would be the best motherhood is going to change you when that baby comes out you're going to just feel this complete euphoria i did not feel that i did not feel that i would say probably for the first 18 months i felt like not resentment towards my child but like a little bit there was a little bit of change that i was still trying to navigate and i didn't feel that euphoria that everyone was telling me about and then i felt guilty for not feeling that and wondering what was wrong with me and I would say that that was a struggle. Like I was like, am I, was I not meant to do this? What's going on? Like that was a big struggle. Yeah. I would say that now that her and I can communicate, we can joke with each other. I feel that, that this is the best, you know, depending on the day yeah. and the sass that's been talking yeah. back. But like, there's that pride, I would say more so yeah. now that I didn't really feel right away. And that was a struggle mentally for me because it, I was I felt like I was doing something wrong, that I was missing something, okay. that I should have felt that instant connection and love. Yeah. And I would say the biggest struggle now that we were within the last was trying to figure out family planning. I would say that that's been a big mental struggle is that, you know, we've decided that Zoe will be an only child. That's what works best for our family and for us um, mentally, for me mentally, for, for Matt mentally. and what how she's going to feel about that as she grows older is she going to resent us for only having one child is she like there's a whole other aspect there's a society aspect like when you get the questions oh this is so great she's so cute so are you gonna have another when's the little sibling exactly and so i think that that's something that i've really had to work through and matt and i have had to talk through um and figure out again what's best for us what's best for me what's best for matt what's best for zoe and yeah i think that that was the biggest struggle that we've sort of just come to confidence. thank you for sharing yeah. that too because i think that that's really important and you know there's so many it's it's just one more tricky thing in parenthood to navigate mm-hmm. um you know as you said it's what's best for your family it wasn't necessarily like you know i know people who it was a clear that was their 
clear decision from the very beginning, from the very moment they had their first child, they knew that that was the situation. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, you know, you tons of people who struggle to get pregnant at all. 100%. So then to, it's just, it's just, and it's hard to talk about that, right? Like yeah. I, it's, it's hard to say that out loud because I like to take everyone's feelings into consideration. So I'm yes. like, here I am. I have no idea if I can get pregnant again. I don't, you know, secondary yes. infertility is a big thing, but there's people out there that would do anything to be pregnant right now. And here I am with a, with a healthy, awesome little girl and I'm kind of downplaying it. So I was, I, but then I needed to also refocus the conversation to say, okay, am I having a baby for Zoe? Am I going to have another baby for society to accept Zoe? Right. And then from a ther- from my therapist, she made a valid point one day. She's like, there is no guarantees that they're even going to like each other, Kate. So if you're having a baby to just make Zoe happy and then they Be don't, best yeah, and then they're not best friends, like what this, there's no guarantees in life. I'm like, that's very true. And I, okay, <laughs> this is just something that you have to work through. And then again, when you're talking back out to society, when they ask those questions, it's just, you have to answer with confidence. And we just do now. We're like, we call ourselves the three-man wolf pack, the triad, like we're a triangle. The triangles are strong. Like we're going to be just the three of us. And that's, and we're comfortable with that. This is us. Mm-hmm. This is us. Yeah. yeah. I love that. My must-haves or our must-haves are a sound machine. White noise has been our saving grace. We Zoe still listens to white noise. We still listen to it because we can still hear it. We live in a in a smaller condo, and actually, one night when the power went off and it, we all couldn't sleep because the white noise was is our saving grace. I think when she's done with it, we'll continue to listen to it. And I carried Zoe. She didn't walk until she was eighteen months. She had no interest in doing much. She was such an observer for the first eighteen months. So a baby carrier ergo baby and then we had a mech backpack that we would do hikes with that was our saving grace because she was a little bump on a log her daycare called the little chanel purse was not interested in doing any crawling any walking any pulling up at all for the first 18 months so a baby carrier and right now we have a learning tower but it's just immersed Zoe into the kitchen with us and into areas that she might have not been able to get up to previously. And we bake in it and we color in it and we do all of it just allowed her to sort of come up to our level a little bit more. And it's been awesome. Thank you so much for, for having the chat with me today. Of course. It was such a pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. And this is so great. I'm excited. Okay. Well, say hi to your sassy little feisty daughter and your, and yes. your hubby. And yes. we hope that we can connect again soon. Okay. I'd like to thank Kate again for being a guest on the podcast today. And to all the listeners who are also health and wellness professionals, if you're interested in simplicating the process of executing marketing initiatives in your business, you should seriously consider getting in touch with Kate. She loves creating order from chaos, hacking through the weeds, and cutting through all the unnecessary jargon. She truly has just an immense passion for the health and wellness community and an unrelenting desire to help people. You can look up her business online at www.simplicate.ca. That's www.simplicate.ca. Thank you so much for listening in today, mamas. I hope that you were able to relate in some way or find some takeaways for yourself in today's show. And as always, 
please feel free to share this episode with another person or mother in your life who might benefit in some way from the content that we've discussed. If you haven't already done so, jump online and check out the podcast website at www.raiseyourhandmotherhoodpodcast.com. You can leave a review for the show, read guest bios, or just check out some of the blog posts and must-haves for motherhood that have been shared so far. Okay, that's all for today. Thanks for raising your hand with me, mamas. Until next time. Hey, Mama, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood podcast. I made it for you, so I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so we can hang out together again soon.